I grew up in a Bible-believing home, and my parents had me in Sunday school every week of my life. And what that means is that I grew up hearing the saga of Samson with some frequency. But as I realized much later, I heard selective stories of Samson. I was always fascinated by Samson because I was a scrawny kid who was always trying to gain weight. Imagine that. I had lots of chocolate, banana, peanut butter, milkshakes because it seemed to work for Elvis to help him gain weight. <laughs> had lots of extra potatoes and gravy. And it wasn't just Samson's feats of strength. It was the daring exploits. When you read just through the short four chapters of Judges that are given over to him, you have so many exploits, such as the one in chapter 14 where Samson kills a, a lion barehanded and in the same chapter kills 30 Philistines at once. Or in chapter 15, when he catches 300 foxes, ties torches to their tails, sets his enemies' fields on fire. And again, in chapter 15 and 16, he repeatedly breaks every bond that the Philistines try to put on him. Or in chapter 15, when he kills a thousand men with the jawbone of one donkey. Or in chapter 16, when he seems to reach his pinnacle, he carries off the city gate of Gaza. And then, in the close of his life, pulls down a whole Philistine amphitheater. That was always my takeaway, the exploits. And after my adult conversion, in my first semester in Bible college in an Old Testament history course, I began to read the whole life. And I was shocked to see how much I'd missed in Sunday school. Samson, of course, I realized, and I sort of soured on Samson for a while. Because he is a man fraught with difficulties. He's a man unlike any other in Scripture, endowed with superhuman physical strength. But there's plenty to not like about Samson. He's hyper-individualistic. He does what's right in his own eyes, and so is the prototypical Israelite of the book of Judges. He does what is right in his own eyes. Women are his downfall repeatedly. He ignores the antithesis, and he repeatedly pursues women who are not Israelites, this Samson, of course, is a picture of Israel who has played the harlot and gone after foreign gods. His bodily appetites sabotage his theological convictions. And then, <clears throat> as I began to dig deep, I realized that on just about every page of Samson's life, he's slaughtering people, lots of them. He's a rogue-killing machine. He's, he's like a, a Clint Eastwood character. He's like Dirty Harry or Josie Wales rolled into one. And he's... He's dashing and strong and witty and full of potential, but he wastes all his gifts. More than one psychoanalyst has said that Samson is the classic narcissist. He was, though, a guided missile with a purpose, to bring down the enemies of God. His epitaph read in Judges 16, he killed more in his death than he did in his life. And it was only when I began to study Samson in the New Testament and to see what we're told in Hebrews 11.32, Pastor Anderson read it in your hearing a moment ago, that I was shocked to realize he was a believer. Even notwithstanding all his faults and shortcomings, he was a believer. He did all these exploits, we are told, by faith. He was looking towards the promised one who would come. And perhaps my most astounding discovery was that Samson was a marvelous type of Christ. 
Let me remind you of the story. If you have your Bible, I hope you'll just look and skim some pages with me. Look at Judges 13 through 16. And let me just remind you of the high points of Samson's life. Judges 13, the nation of Israel is occupied by Philistines, Gentile idolaters that worship Baal, Ashtoreth, and Dagon. And the angel of the Lord appears to a barren couple, Manoah and his wife, and promises a child. Of course, this prophecy is sure, a son is given. And Manoah and his wife are commanded to consecrate this son as a Nazarite from his earliest days. Remember that. Nazarite comes from a Hebrew word that means to separate. A Nazarite vow meant that Samson was committed to abstain from alcohol, avoid dead bodies, and not get any haircuts. Of course, all three of those things happened to Samson. The angel of the Lord promises that their son will be the deliverer of Israel. You turn to chapter 14. Samson's now grown up and he sees an attractive Philistine girl, a Gentile, off limits for him, and desires her for a wife. His parents protest, but they're weak about it. Samson wears them down. On their way down to the wedding, a, a lion attacks Samson. Barehanded, he rips the lion's head off in the power of the Spirit. He's just getting started. And after being duped by his Gentile fiance, he kills 30 Philistine men in a rage. Now he's beginning to fulfill the angel's promise that he would be a deliverer and would crush the enemies of God. Judges 15, because his Gentile father-in-law acts like a lost man and refuses to keep his word and refuses to hand over Samson's bride, Samson burns down the grain fields, the vineyards, and the olive trees of the Philistines. Pure mayhem. Guerrilla warfare at its best. And then he, in chapter 15, still engages in a wholesale slaughter of Philistines. At this point, even Samson's fellow Israelites say, enough. And so in chapter 15, his fellow Israelites hand him over to the Philistines. Samson is dragged into the Philistine camp. He breaks all the bonds, grabs the first weapon available, which turns out to be a jawbone of a donkey. And he kills a thousand Philistines with this unconventional weapon. Judges 16, when Samson pursues a woman in Gaza and the Philistines surround the city overnight and they think they've trapped him, at midnight he marches to the city gate, a gate that is about 14 feet wide and 20 feet tall, wood plated with iron. Tears the gate off its hinges, carries it to the top of a hill a few miles away on his back. Samson then meets Delilah, who agrees to betray Samson to the Philistines for silver. Delilah begins to work Samson, inquiring about the secret of his strength. Finally, he lets it slip that his hair is the reason. And as a Nazarite, he's had no haircuts. As soon as Samson falls asleep, Delilah ushers in a barber, and Samson is shaved in 60 seconds flat. The now weakened Samson is blinded by the Philistines and put in prison. And while he's there, he begins to pray imprecatory prayers, asking the Lord to judge the Philistines. And with his final act of renewed strength, since his hair has begun to grow out again, Samson pushes against the pillars of the temple of Dagon. And even though he is crushed to death, so are thousands of Philistines. 
As I said a moment ago, I was shocked to, to realize that Samson is a type of Christ. We're studying on Sunday nights the types of the Old Testament. And let me just remind you where we've been over the last seven weeks. We began by looking at Adam, the type of Jesus, the federal head of a race, the one who acts for others. The second week, we studied the ark, the type of the one place to hide when the wrath of God is poured out. The ark, of course, is a, is a glorious picture of Christ. Then we saw our third type of Christ in the saga of Abraham and his son Isaac. And a fourth type, Joseph, the rejected kinsman yet future savior. And the next week, we looked at the Passover lamb. Last week, we studied the Old Testament prophet Jonah. Jonah being swallowed by the great fish and coming out three days later is a clear type of Jesus in his resurrection. And tonight is our seventh type. We will examine Samson as a type of Christ. Now let me give you some reminders about types. Types are prophetic. They always are pointing towards something in the new covenant. Types are divinely designed. And what I hope you'll see tonight is after about maybe the third or fourth or tenth point of correspondence between Samson and Christ, you might even set to the side your idea of, well, what a neat coincidence and say, I I think this was planned. Types are, are not accidents. They're an integral part of the history of redemption. It is the Lord's sovereign rule of history and his infinitely exact knowledge of the future that makes typology possible. He knows what is to come and what person and what events are at the center of human history. And so the Lord is able to weave into history all manner of anticipations, forward-pointing signs to teach his people long before the events come to pass. And so when people look at these great types, such as Joseph and Joshua and the Passover lamb and And Samson to say, wow, that almost seems messianic. Oh, if the Lord would raise up someone like that, but better. With a true type, there's always a clear point of resemblance between the type and the fulfillment. No reaching or forcing needs to be done for this to be seen. Three weeks ago, we studied Joseph as a type of Christ. And we saw, and some of you thought I was kidding when I said this, we saw 30 points of correspondence between Joseph and the greater Joseph, the fulfillment of the type, even the Lord Jesus. Tonight, we'll seek to show that Samson is a type of Christ and point out a mere 20 points of correspondence between him and the greater Samson. And so let me sit back and let these roll over you. And as I said, maybe on the 2nd, maybe on the 10th, maybe on the 19th, you'll say, I get it. I see it. Samson, in a dark era, Samson is a bright light. He's, he's pointing forward to the one who will come and who will, will be the anti-type to him, but will do so perfectly and gloriously. The first way that Samson points forward is a type is the lesser Samson. That's what we'll call the one in Judges, the sinful Samson, the lesser Samson. Prayed imprecatory prayers just before he pushed the temple down and slaughtered thousands of the Philistines. Samson says, I pray just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines. This is what's called an imprecatory prayer, asking God to judge his enemies. 
Now, you think, how is this a forward pointer to the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know what Christ's songbook was? It's the Psalter. He prayed and sang the Psalms, which are filled with imprecatory prayers. And he taught us to pray imprecatory prayers, such as the Lord's Prayer. The most imprecatory prayer you can pray is the Lord's Prayer when you pray, Thy kingdom come, because that means the crushing of all of Christ's enemies. Imprecatory prayers are requests for God to judge his and our enemies to no longer show restraint and forbearance. And the scriptures, especially the Psalms, are jammed full of these. For example, in Psalm 58, we hear the believer rejoicing when he sees God's vengeance upon his enemies. Or in Psalm 83, the psalmist prays, and Christ sang in his days in the flesh, O God, make your enemies like whirling dust. Pursue them with your tempest. Frighten them with your storm and then put them to shame. But those are just sort of nice guy imprecatory psalms. When you read Psalm 109, it's terrifying. Or Psalm 35, when the psalmist prays and Israel sings, even as our Lord Jesus did, let destruction come upon your enemies unexpectedly. Then my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. Paul picks these up and quotes them in Romans 11. Paul even includes imprecatory statements in his benedictions, such as 1 Corinthians 16. If anyone doesn't love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. And so we see Samson engaging in this spiritual warfare at the very end, engaging in imprecatory prayers. The lesser Samson did it, and the greater Samson certainly did it. A second point of correspondence. Just as the lesser Samson was betrayed by a person of his inner circle, Delilah, his beloved, was betrayed by a person of his inner circle into the hands of Gentile executioners. So the greater Samson, the Lord Jesus, was betrayed by a person of his inner circle, Judas, into the hands of Gentile executioners. A third point of correspondence. Just as the lesser Samson showed that the gates of a wicked city would not prevail over him, this, this picture is my favorite aspect, my favorite aspect until the 20th. Favorite correspondence between the lesser and the greater Sam, Samson and the greater. Samson is, is trapped in the city of Gaza. What does he do? He takes these giant city gates, rips them off their hinges, puts them on his back, and marches uphill several miles and then dumps those city gates off. What is this but a picture of what the greater Samson has promised in Matthew 16. That the gates of the wicked kingdom will not prevail over him and his righteous, ever-growing church. In Samson's case, you see it, it done out of spite and anger. But in the case of the Lord Jesus, the gates of the wicked city will not prevail over him. A fourth point of correspondence. In Judges 15, we see Jews and Gentiles allying with each other for the purpose of doing away with God's anointed ruler and judge, Samson. This is one more aspect of the type which foreshadows the day when we see a thousand years later when Jews and Gentiles, specifically Romans, ally against God's anointed, the greater Samson. Just as Samson patiently humbly, willingly allowed himself to be bound by a huge horde of his countrymen, Israelites, and handed over to the Gentiles to be executed. This is just a typification of the day when the greater Nazarite, Jesus, 
allowed himself to be arrested by a huge horde of his countrymen and handed over to Gentiles to be executed. Of course, the greater Samson could have burst the chains and called legions of angels and destroyed his captors. But he didn't because of his great love for you. Now, in the midst of all of these points of correspondence, let me have an interlude here. Let me point out a couple of contrasts, because what I'm trying to convince you is by all of these points of correspondence, at some point in this, you say, I get it. Samson, flawed as he was, imperfect as he was, he's a flashing sign pointer to the greater, the perfect Samson. But think of some of the contrasts between Samson and Jesus. Samson is there in the temple of Dagon, about to be executed because of his own inability to live under God's rule. His downfall is brought about by his own disobedience. But the greater Samson always lived in submission to the law of God and died because of others' disobedience. Another contrast, Samson, as a, as a foreshadowing of Christ, pulled down Satan's kingdom. So did the greater Samson, Jesus. But the greater Samson rose again in visible triumph over them. Well, back to our points of correspondence between the lesser and the greater Samson. The fifth correspondence. Samson's death achieved the role that God had raised him up for. You remember at the very beginning of his life, the angel of the Lord prophesied to his parents and said, here's his role, to begin the deliverance of Israel from their enemies. That was what his parents were told. This is his role. He's going to begin the deliverance of Israel from the Philistines. But Jesus' death was far greater in that it achieved deliverance from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin once for all his people. A sixth correspondence. Just as the lesser Samson was mocked and scourged and laughed at by wicked men when they blinded him just before his death, so the greater Samson was up until the moment of his death, thugs were mocking him. Bypassers, we're told, wagged their heads, saying, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. Here may be one of the clearest pictures we see of the, of the correspondence between the two. Just as Samson was mocked by wicked men in his death, it's almost a carbon copy preparation for the Lord Jesus who was mocked by wicked men in his death. A seventh point of correspondence. Just as the lesser Samson Samson delivered Israel alone, he had no help. Some of the other Israelite judges, such as Othniel and Ehud, had rallied all of Israel. Gideon, a former judge, had 300 men assisting him. But Samson delivered Israel alone. What a glorious preparation for the greater Samson, who would deliver all of his people by himself, for there was no one else who could be a fit savior for him or an assistant to him in his work of deliverance. An eighth point of correspondence. Both Samson and Jesus were born into Israel when she was occupied by a Gentile nation. Samson was born and raised under the tyrannical, idolatrous Philistines. The greater Samson was born and raised under the tyrannical and idolatrous Roman Empire, specifically Caesar Augustus. A ninth point of correspondence. Both Samson and Jesus were arrested by a foreign oppressor power. 
both the Philistines and Rome made a spectacle of them and tortured them. Tenth, both Samson and Jesus laid down their lives to crush the enemies of God and deliver the covenant people from their oppressors. Both of them were deliverers who cared for the people of God. Eleventh point of sameness. Samson and Jesus' birth were both foretold by angels who predicted they would save their people. And then twelfth, both Samson and Jesus had miraculous conceptions. Samson was born to a woman formerly barren, but Jesus was born, showing how the antitype is always greater than the type. Jesus was born not to a barren woman, but to a virgin. A thirteenth point. Samson, and you think, how could anybody, how could even Jesus top this? Samson defeated a lion, ripping off his head with his bare hands in Judges 14. But Jesus is the greater Samson, defeated the greater lion. You know what Satan is called in First Peter. He's called a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But we know back from the Proto-Evangelium in Genesis chapter 3. That his head is crushed by Jesus in his saving work. A 14th point of correspondence. Both of their betrayers, in the case of Samson, Delilah. In the case of Jesus, Judas. Both of their betrayers were paid in silver for their deeds of betrayal. A 15th point of correspondence. Samson died in the middle of wicked men. Jesus, the greater Samson, was crucified between two wicked men. At this point, after 15 of these, I hope what you're saying is, I think you may be onto something here, Carl. I, I think that Samson is starting to look a lot more like Jesus. He's making me think of Jesus, all of these things that you're saying. Oh, there's more. But the 20th is the most astounding. 16th, both were separated unto God from birth. In the case of Samson in Judges 13, his parents were ordered to have him take a Nazarite vow so he would be different, radically different from day one. And the same was true with Jesus in Matthew chapter 2 where Joseph and Mary were told, he shall be a Nazarene. The 17th, both Samson and the greater Samson acted in the power of the Holy Spirit. The next time, by the way, that somebody tells you that the Holy Spirit wasn't present or functioning in the Old Testament, shock them. Take them to the account of Samson because we repeatedly are told in Judges 13 and again in Judges 14 and again in Judges 15 that the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And of course the same was true of Jesus where we're told repeatedly Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus being led by the Holy Spirit, Jesus returning in the power of the Spirit, and Jesus even saying in his hometown synagogue, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. An 18th point of correspondence. Samson was mighty to overcome his enemies. One of the most fascinating pictures is the one you have in Judges 15, where we see Samson finding a jawbone of a donkey, and he took it and slayed a thousand men. Do the math with me for a second. Let's just say that Samson was particularly proficient in jawboning as a weapon. 
And we are told he kills a thousand men. Do you know how long it would take him to kill a thousand men? Let's just say he killed one per minute. That would take over 16 hours. I think your arm would get tired after a while. Well, what we are told, what that's being told to us for is to show he was mighty to overcome his enemies. But just as Samson used a jawbone as the instrument to overcome his enemies, even so, Christ's weapon to overcome his enemies was his own death. By his death, he destroyed him who has the power of death, that is the devil, according to Hebrews chapter 2. Nineteenth point of correspondence. Both Samson and the greater Samson destroyed more enemies by their death than they ever did in their life. That was the postscript, you remember, about Samson in Judges 16.30. So the dead which Samson slayed at his death were more than those which he slew in his life. Even so with Christ, the greater Samson. By his death, he has been the death of death. He has robbed death of its sting, the grave of its terror, sin of its power, and Satan of his authority. But the 20th point of correspondence. I know I'm going to be misunderstood here. I'm actually planning on that. And I know that you'll question this. But I say this with all care and reverence and a deep desire to speak of the grace of Christ. Samson loved sinful women of bad reputation. Not just Delilah, but several are mentioned, and he was prepared to take such a woman, a woman of notorious reputation, as his bride. When the greater Samson came into this world to get a bride for himself, he chose Gentiles, publicans, notorious sinners. Even in his family tree, he had such people, such as Rahab. In Samson's case, his love for harlots was his greatest shame. But in the greater Samson's case, this is his greatest honor. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the the many pictures drawn of our Savior hundreds of years before his incarnation, especially in the life of Samson, as we see Samson overcoming the gates of the enemy, We see Samson sacrificing himself for the good of his people. But how much more do we praise you for the fulfillment, the anti-type Jesus, that he will triumph over even the gates of hell, that he has sacrificed himself for a, a number that's so number that no man can even count it, people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And Lord, how we thank you for your good providence in casting our lot in the new covenant. Lord, we thank you that now we see these correspondence. We see these pictures with great clarity. And we thank you that you have shown us both the type and the fulfillment in the blazing sunlight of the New Testament. Lord, we pray that we would delight that Jesus is our mighty one, that he is our Samson and our deliverer. We pray with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your training.